Welcome to Headliners, the podcast. This is the paper review that won't put you to sleep. You can catch us live every night from 11 on GB News with a panel of top-notch comedians going through the biggest stories hitting the next day's papers. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Headliners. Hello and welcome to Headliners. I'm Andrew Doyle and I'm joined tonight by the comedic giant that is Leo Kurse and a man who does the best Jordan Peterson impression this side of the Atlantic, that's Nick Dixon. You can still do that, can't you? You used to do a very well, funny impersonation. Well, turns out to be a pretty complicated question. I mean, that wasn't my best. I thought, I thought it just meant you are having a breakdown. <laughs> and taking ketamine in yeah. Russia. <laughs> now, we're going to go straight on to tomorrow's front pages before we delve into them and we're going to start with the Daily Mail. They're leading with, at last, a police chief who gets it? This is to do with a, a police officer who said that the vast majority of burglary victims are being let down by the police. That's because they're all off investigating mean tweets. The Telegraph leads with exceptional risk of wildfires, with a map there looking very alarmist about all the fires that might emerge, and police losing bond of trust over burglaries. The Independent re- leads with heat waves pushing fire services to crisis point, and Donald Trump takes the fifth in New York case. We're going to be talking about that. In a wee while, The Guardian leads with take control of energy firms that will not cut bills, Brown tells PM, and Trump taking the fifth, their claim of witch hunt over inquiry. The Financial Times runs with slight easing in US inflation, spurs hope, pace of price rises has peaked. Quite an inelegant headline, that one. And we move on to the front page of The Mirror, which leads with uh, Gigs X felt like a slave. This is something something to do with a former lover of a footballer. Not quite sure who he is, to be honest. The Times leads with police failing victims of burglary, says Watchdog, and Truss hints at handouts as as officials look to ease Bill's crisis. The Daily Express runs with fears patients' lives at risk in medicine shortage. Supply chain crisis leaves pharmacists struggling to provide vital drugs. And The Star runs with night of the living dread. A pun there for you. <laughs> Zombies at number 10. Money-saving champ Martin Lewis warns energy crisis is as serious as COVID epidemic. And those are your front covers. And we're going to kick off with Thursday's Daily Mail now. Fresh news from the GB News debate in Lee. Nick, you know about this? Yes, very good debate. I watched it all. It was excellent. And that's not even me being biased. Um, yeah, so Mail's gone with Tory leadership favourite Liz Truss vows to be robust with French and to deal with European judges in order to solve channel migrant crisis. And yeah, what she did, someone brought up the question of the French being difficult. And she said, you don't say. And it was a great anti-French moment. And it was <laughs> overall... you watch it. Yeah, I love it. It, it was overall very good. It, it was in Lee, and the people came across really well, the good people of Lee. And they had more time to talk, which I really liked. But she, Liz Truss covered quite a few things. She said, um, Kemi will pretty much definitely get a job, which yes. is good. She said top that... Top job, I think, Kemi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're referring to. And, and Kemi, yeah. And, and I know it's to say because we're mates, but um, just <laughs> Kemi. But uh, Telford, she said, will be properly investigated, and everyone who who was part of the Telford scandal and Rotherham Assault will be investigated, so hopefully that happens. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of work. It's a lot of work, I know. Every town well, in the UK. Well, that's the problem with these promises. They are campaign promises. The other one I liked, and it's only a campaign promise, is she said rental history will mm. be taken into account for mortgage applications because it's so annoying when you've paid consistently a high rent for years and they go, oh, you can't pay this much lower mortgage. And people on Twitter have said, well, how will it work? 
I'm not in direct control of the scheme, but um, hopefully it will work. And there was a couple of downsides. The, the, the WASPy women weren't too happy. Women against state pension inequality, because she said she can't really revisit that issue. Cost of living guy was like, I need help now, yeah. where she's only going to be able to help. She says as soon as she comes in, she'll start the process from day one, as she likes to say, but it'll still take till like next April. And also there was carers who are struggling on only £70 a week. But I thought she did well overall. Yeah. So Nick is very much team trust. How do you think she fared, Leo? Yeah, I'm, I'm team trust as well at this point. I mean, yeah. it is a two-horse race at the moment, yeah. and uh, and Sunak isn't looking. You know, he's looking like uh, he's sort of hobbling over, uh, hob hobbling over. You know, a fence halfway down the course. Yeah, he's come a cropper at Beaches Brook, hasn't he? That yeah, one. Yeah, obviously. Over. Obviously, in front of this audience and on this channel, uh, you know, Trust could could open up a bit about immigration and what you know what she wants to say rather than what she she, she sort of. I think there's this uh, any debate or discussion around immigration in this country is really constrained by the yeah. fact that you know anything that isn't positive is seen as you know a horrible racism and must be must be shut down. When really there's there's some issues. Now, I don't uh, think I, she doesn't seem to be feeling that way at all. She's just going directly, and you know, she's gone with the old francophobia as a means. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, that's a vote winner. As Nick intimated, <laughs> but you know, also this idea that that uh, you know the French are not helping the situation. I mean, that's certainly a given, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think when we're part of the European Union, the French were maybe more incentivised to actually help us yes. and, and abide by it. But uh, but now now they're no, not. No, and now no. now they're they're almost using it uh, using it to, to punish us, much as you know Putin ships uh, ships um, immigrants yeah. to to the Belarus border and uh, and then fires them into, into what, Poland. What do you think about uh, the fact that she invoked specifically the European Court of Human Rights and she mentioned the you know the issue with uh, them intervening with the government's oh, yeah. policy over R Rwanda? And I think this has made this is quite a this could be a vote winner as well in insofar as irrespective of where you stand on the Rwanda situation, we shouldn't have some unknown judges in Strasbourg that no one voted for or knows or yeah. could name overriding decisions that have been ratified by the courts in this country yeah. and by the government itself. What, what do you think, Nick? What are you, a fascist, Andrew? I know, <laughs> I know. It, According to Twitter. It's, I know, well, sorry about that tweet. It, it's very, it's, I know, it's, that's an obvious one. You, she said, yes, we, we have, you have to be able to control your own laws. You can't say, this is our policy, then it gets stopped, like you say, by some supranational body. The only thing, the other thing I want to just come back on is she did actually say she had a tough call with, with the French saying you need to put more staff on. She wasn't just doing sort of slogans. Yeah. And the other thing I just wanted to quickly say about Rishi, I know it's quite funny that he's switched to saying uh, I'd rather lose than lie so he's done a sort of David Brent <laughs> yeah. this is the real quiz yeah. so now losing is the new winning because yeah. it shows you've got integrity that's how well his campaign is so doing he's sensing that it's not going too well for him could be he's doing some damage limitation anyway on to Thursday's Guardian now they're leading with Gordon Brown offering a solution to the energy crisis Leo it's quite interesting isn't it when, the, when these former Prime Ministers pop up and, and put their oar in yeah yeah, yeah. and I love that, that Gordon Brown's uh, popped up to, to get involved uh, even though he hasn't been Prime Minister for, for quite some decades <laughs> And, uh, Doesn't stop Tony Blair. And it's uh, yeah, but he's, he's he's picked the sort of he always picks the most technocratic, you know, boring, mundane, nitty gritty things. So this is energy prices. So he's he's said that energy firms uh, unable to offer lower bills should be renationalised, even though it's it's just a temporary measure. Uh, and he's co also called for the energy price to be scrapped and new lower prices renegotiated by the government. Um, but uh, this this shows that his economic know-how hasn't improved since he since he uh, took took part in causing the financial crash of 2007, uh, you know, caps uh, caps on energy prices and also payments to people. A price is a signal that says that there's not enough of whatever's being, whatever, whatever's being bought, there isn't enough of it. So, you know, there isn't enough coffee, the price of coffee shoots up. There's not enough oil and gas because we're not fracking, we're not developing our North Sea oil, we, we're dependent on Russia and we, we don't want to buy from them anymore. So there's not enough stuff.
stuff. So if, then, you know, if, you, if you put caps on it, that doesn't make that problem go away. If you give people more money, that just sends the price but, up but further. But don't you think, though, that irrespective of where you stand on Gordon Brown's position, people are going to be re receptive to this at the moment because it feels like a situation that is spiralling out of control. I mean, we just learned the other day that the bills by April are going to be somewhere in the region of 4,300, which is an yeah. extra 700 on what they thought it would be. Nick? Yeah. Well, firstly, on, on Brown... Uh, why is he, he suddenly seems to be everywhere, which is odd. I think what happened in, in the leadership campaign, someone said that Rishi's policies were economically further left than Gordon Brown. I think saying his name woke him from his slumber, and now <laughs> like he's back. Like the Candyman. <laughs> Something like that. Say his name say, time. Yeah, three yeah. times, yeah. and he's brown, back. Brown, brown. He's back to fix the economy by, surprise, surprise, nationalising stuff. You know, it, it's, it's partly the left capitalising <laughs> yeah. on, a, on a crisis, because, like, we should do really lefty policies. I do think there's a case for, you know, the trains being nationalised and so on. Mm. Not sure about the energy companies. And, but the one thing I do agree on is that he says, look, uh, time and tide wait for no one. You know, the, we, we can't wait around for, on the convenience of a departing PM. And I have heard the argument, you know, Rishi should just concede now, let Liz Truss get on with this stuff. Although, yeah. I did say in a previous story, she can't actually, can, even if she does some sort of emergency budget, when will that actually be? Mm. Yeah. She, if she won't do a windfall tax, I'm not sure anything would actually ha happen immediately anyway. Well, well, the things that she's suggesting aren't going to do anything, really, particularly. I mean, don't you think perhaps Gordon Brown has a point? I mean, they re temporarily renationalised the banks back in 2009. No, this is, I mean, setting price controls uh, wouldn't, or renationalising uh, energy, energy companies wouldn't make more gas and oil appear magically. No, that's from not what he's air. suggesting, though, is it? He's but not the, saying that. The problem, the problem is caused by there's not enough oil and gas. If there's loads of oil and gas, we wouldn't have a problem where it was too expensive. So, because the, it would be so what is it? It's fracking, is this? Fracking, fracking and developing <laughs> North Sea oil and also, uh, also maybe uh, invading Russia. They, they're messing around with our oil. I think with it's our cutting oil. national insurance next year sometime is the solution. Uh, yep. Okay, you're very much team trust tonight. Uh, so Thursday's Guardian now and GP's bedside manners have come under a bit of pressure, Leo. Yeah, so uh, research has shown that some obese people skip medical appointments because they feel humiliated by doctors and nurses, uh, you know, commenting on, on the weight, weight shaming them. I bet they don't skip breakfast, though. Um, I mean, Ooh, low this blow. Is, this is low <laughs> blow. Well, uh, I mean, they've got some padding, so they can probably take it. Um, I mean, this is good because uh, so obese people aren't going to the, the doctor because it makes them feel anxious and so depressed wait, and hungry. Can I get hungry. this straight? Um, <laughs> they are feeling that when a doctor says to them, you need to lose some weight because maybe, you know, this isn't good for you, they, they are interpreting that as being a form of fat shaming. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, it doesn't explicitly it doesn't explicitly say that, but I think you know having to having to strip off, uh, having to you know specify which fold is in fact your buttock, you know, all this sort of stuff can leave them feeling um, you know exposed and, and anxious and stuff. Uh, so they're they're missing appointments, which is good because obesity usually takes too long to kill people. So this should help. But, but um, this report is suggesting that there is such a thing as a unconscious weight bias, which right. is systemic among doctors and uh, medical yeah. staff more generally. Yeah, they yeah. even they do say here, they, they, the analysis found that a number of health professionals believe their patients are lazy, lack self-control, overindulge, are hostile, dishonest, have poor hygiene and do not follow guidance. So well, it is a kind of fat shame. Yeah, what, that what's that based but, on? I mean, there's... That's, based I don't doctors. Know. I know. Doctors know about when a do OK, I think this is to do with interpretation. When a doctor says you need to lose weight, yes. you might interpret that as, oh, they've got this unconscious bias against fat people. Yes. Or they th Actually, the doctor is, is looking out for your own well-being. Well, it Surely. says here, um, a, a GP will unconsciously show they do not believe the patient complies with eating less and exercising more the, the regime they've been asked to lose. And to be honest, they're probably not if they're not losing weight. But I want to be very sympathetic. Look, I mean, 
I've, doctors have said to me, you're overweight, you've got your blood pressure a bit high, you need yeah. to lose it. But yeah, that's just their job. There is a line. And, you know, we've all been, I've been bullied. At, listening. I've been bullied at school, you know, for being fat, right? People like Leo, not literally him, but his character. And uh, he, he just did it then. But there's a line, obviously, isn't there, between doing your job as a doctor, sympathy, caring, but also then there's acceptance, which is a bit weird. And then there's even celebration, where it gets really weird, yeah, where it's yeah. body positivity. And you have people like Sophie Hagen attacking a, a cancer charity because yeah. she's saying that they're fat shaming. That's when it gets mental. Well, I mean, and, you know, there's, there's whole disciplines now. Fat studies is a, is a new sort of postmodern discipline. There's whole journals de de devoted to this idea that there are no health risks surrounding obesity. This yeah. is all a social construct which has been put into place <laughs> to benefit those with thin privilege. I mean, yeah. this stuff is absolutely nonsense. No, uh, if you are massively overweight, you're going to die younger. It's not good for you. And it's also the, the removal of personal responsibility and the move towards a, a communist mindset. So, uh, you know, this report says um, that health professionals need to be taught as students that excess weight is almost guaranteed in modern society. Wow. I, mean, yeah. I take issue with that. I don't, I don't think it is. They also say it's not the fault of individuals, even though an individual can and take it upon themselves to maybe eat less cake and exercise more. And, and so the health professionals should treat people more sensitively. I mean, fair enough, they should treat people more sensitively, but, but those other things that excess weight is almost guaranteed and, yeah, and isn't the fault uh, of individuals. See, that's I'm just skeptical uh, that the doctors aren't being sensitive. I, doctors, in my experience, have been. I was told I need to lose weight. You know, I'm very prone to gaining weight, but I don't suddenly say, oh, what, you're calling me fat then? You want to take this outside? That's not my response. My response mm. is to, like you say, put the fork down. No, you're right. <laughs> the only problem is that there's it turns out they like phone call appointments more, and so there's a danger that they lose the appointments. I'm, bit, I'm being a bit less mean than Leo. I think it is obviously, uh, I don't want to say systemic, but it is, it is a problem where yeah. so many people are obese. We talked about it on Monday, yeah. that it must be to do with foods. It must be to, Simon Evans said it was all to do with altitude and water, so I haven't read that study yet. But there are obviously other reasons when it's so many people. And I think yeah, we do absolutely. have to be, but there's definitely a line being sympathetic, sympathetic and caring, but not saying it's okay, or like Leo says, not saying we're just going to accept it now. That's mental. And also, that's, honestly, that's it is hard. If you, particularly if you're in a depressed state, to lose weight, it is it isn't actually as easy as people no, think. You have to be in a calorie deficit. Then your metabolism yeah. slows down. When you eat normally again, it's absolutely nice. Yeah, yeah. No, Although can't. it's interesting, the online uh, online um, t not tutorials um, uh, appointments with yep. doctors were were better because uh, they're also cheaper. So. I mean, if it's if it's better for the obese people, they feel less anxious, and it's cheaper for me as a taxpayer. Then that's a win-win. You're okay with that, and yeah, also, yeah. but then they're not walking to the doctors. They're not, they're walking, not walking to the, the doctors, no, and they're not getting getting shamed into into doing it. Right. So Leo is all about the shame. He thinks it's a good thing. Anyway, we're on to Thursday's Telegraph now. Donald Trump, your favourite subject, Nick. He's <laughs> pleading the fifth. He's saying he's going to remain silent. He should take this van more often. Uh, oh, another dig at the great man, yes. <laughs> but he's peed in the face. I only did it to wind you up, Nick. That's fair enough. I mean, because we've had this absurd raid on his house uh, in Mar-a-Lago, and he said in a statement, I once asked, if you're innocent, why are you taking the Fifth Amendment? Now I know the answer to that question. When your family, your company, all the people in your orbit have become targets of an unfounded, politically motivated witch hunt supported by lawyers, prosecuted, and the fake news media, you have no choice. So I think it's smart because... They obviously want to get him on something, try and indict him so that he can't run in 2024. Or, not obviously, but allegedly, possibly, Why is he, why is he not wanting to speak? I, that, because that's he, not clear to me. He, because well, he's just following his legal advice, mm. and, and they're looking to get him on anything to stop him running. So he's obviously just playing the game and being careful. And can I just add, it's a point of interest that the judge, uh, Bruce Reinhardt, seems to allegedly seems to have a history of insulting Trump online. There was this guy, John Lewis, who Trump criticised, and this judge said he was his, his hero. So he hit back at Trump. He also donated $2,000 to Obama in 2008, 500 to Jeb Bush in 2016, which is in the New York Post. And he also, interestingly, represented three Epstein 
employees. Yeah. I'm not saying NSA has a bearing on the case, just some factual well, background. He, he sorted out the plea deal for, for Epstein. So, uh, you know, What's give, this got to do with Trump give, not taking the... Well, Epstein is connected to the Clintons. Well, the judge ordered this... Uh, I, I imagine contact. you guys are going to get like a big board now with connecting no, the dots. No, no, the it's judge... like three like dots. Some, no, no, this <laughs> judge... Like the Kevin Bacon's going to be involved. <laughs> this judge approved the search warrant, so I'm just giving you a background to yeah. the story. OK, but the Because thing... Trump pleads the fifth, it's not that big a story, so I'm giving you some useful background about the judge. Yeah, yeah. In, in a slightly conspiratorial tone. But listen, the point about this, oh. what I still don't understand is, in terms of the raid, why have the FBI not been more open about what it is they were looking for or what it is they have found? Because until they do that, right. you're going to get these claims that this is a banana republic behaviour. This is terrible PR, like whichever yeah. Yeah. way you stand. And it's clearly raises the temperature of an already febrile situation. Yeah, it feels like a fishing exercise. So they're going right. in just to see if they can find something. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Trump, Trump hasn't been so... If Trump was smart, he would have put all his documents on Hunter Biden's laptop. Yeah. And then the FBI would never have found it. That's it. The lawyers weren't allowed... His, Trump's lawyers weren't allowed to watch the raid as well, which, which hasn't helped. No, that again, you see, this is... The, I, I just think... You're going with the Andrew Yang argument. Was, is that his name, Andrew? Yeah, Yang, the famous, you know, the Democrat candidate who yeah. ran. He had this interesting tweet where he's basically saying, the problem with this is it will back up the Trump's idea that, you know, it's a, it's a corrupt, deep state government. It's like, mm. well... If it's the truth, then it's, it's going to happen, <laughs> well, I mean, it? Yeah. We, we wouldn't want the truth of a corrupt government to make people think it's corrupt. They must be aware, uh, however just or unjust it might be, trust in the government is at an all-time low. Yeah. Trust in the FBI is, is basically not there at all. Yeah. I mean, so, they, so doing this kind of thing in this way, right, even if they're in the right, yeah. even if they have a perfectly legitimate reason to raid the House, why do it in such a way as it, it's bound to backfire? There's obvious, like, uh, incentives and conflicts of interest here. You know, the fact that the, uh, the, the judge that signed the, the search warrant was connected to Epstein and you know donated to the Democrats. Yeah, but let, I mean, can, can I add one more thing? We've highly speculative. Did you see? Anything? No, that's that's uh, factual. Yeah, no, that's it, factual. But saying that it's relevant it, it, seems speculative. It's so unpopular. The Democrats are trying to distance themselves from it. Did you see the press secretary? She said, "What's this?" She goes, "Yeah, what? Oh, you want to know about the the Mar-a-Lago raid? You guys are calling." It? She's like, "There's a raid." She pretended she didn't really know what it was about. It's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. The only thing that might be plausible is that Biden's so senile he genuinely didn't know. No, so but, but I know what the, know. Where the White House is saying they didn't know about it. And it's possible, and with Biden being so out of it, you think, well, that's actually possible. Yeah. I mean, would, would the judge necessarily have had to go to the White House? No, probably not. Yeah. You know, anyway, we've got to move on now. We've got, to, we've got lots of stories to get to. Over to Scotland. Uh, Leo, I don't know if you've got any strong views about the uh, second <laughs> referendum. Uh, you've mentioned it once or twice in the past. So, well, Nicola Sturgeon is pressing for a second re referendum. She says that the fact that the SNP, you know, did so well in the, the elections yeah. to, to Holyrood, the, the parliament in Scotland, uh, shows that there's a mandate for a second referendum, even though the last referendum was, what, you know, seven or eight years ago and was, was supposed to be a once in a generation, once in a lifetime, um, you know, referendum. And I'm, I'm still alive. Uh, but yeah, so uh, UK government lawyers have said that her attempt to hold a second independence referendum should be thrown out of court because a new vote would not be an abstract opinion poll, but a clear attempt to terminate the so union. So can you talk me through this? Is she suggesting or attempting to justify the second referendum? I think she's saying October next year. Yeah. Is she attempting that by saying it would merely be advisory? Yes, yeah, so she's saying, but I, th I think Brexit was technically advisory. But all referendums All are, referendums are, you know, they're not legally uh, binding, but they, they demonstrate the will of the people. Why would you spend, like, you know, £40 million on one if it was just going to be an opinion Well, well also, I mean, with the Brexit referendum... hire some ad space on Facebook. The, 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 the Brexit referendum, no-one at any point suggested it was, it was going to be treated as advisory. Yeah. The government spent £10 million on a pamphlet that said, this is your decision, we will implement what you decide yeah. in black 
black and white, you know, so there's no getting around it, really. Uh, what do you think, Nick? Do you have any strong well, opinions no, not, about... Just, it's a weird, it is weird, this term advisory. I can't say, oh, Leo should be sacked in a purely advisory capacity. when I, mean, I can. Noted. <laughs> I can Noted. and I have, but, yeah. but it's... Yeah, it's just, I'm just, it's just sad that Nicholas Sturgeon's whole life is dedicated to destroying the union. Yeah, but and, of course, um, but that's the SNP. That's I know it is, I know, I know, yeah. and without any of the potential benefits that Brexit had. But, but um, <laughs> I hate to come across old team trust again, but Liz Truss said ignore it, and that is my tactic. Well, yeah. this, is, this is turning to a massive advert for Liz Truss now. <laughs>Welcome back to Headliners. I'm still Andrew Doyle, and with me tonight I've got Leo Kurse and Nick Dixon. So let's crack on. We go now to a plot within university campuses has been uncovered apparently in Thursday's Times. This is interesting. Yes, yeah, so a group of hard-left academics has been accused of stifling free speech on university campuses by plotting a witch hunt against colleagues on gender identity. Who'd have thought it? So this is yeah. I mean, I think we, we saw this coming. So this is the university and college union uh, members. They pledged to compile a list of university backroom staff suspected of holding gender-critical beliefs, uh, according to minutes from, from a meeting. So the plan was to use this information to inform UCU university branches of their colleagues' views, uh, accusing them of being transphobes and gender-critical activists. So what's uh, great is that, you know, throughout history, the compiling of lists has oh, never gone always. badly when it comes to people's opinions. And yeah, the, the always views. turns out to be the right thing to really do. Really good thing And to fair do. And, uh, yeah. and very reasonable. And yeah, I mean, it follows, there's been some high profile examples of, of this kind of thing. So there's Kathleen Stock, yep. uh, who's bullied out of, uh, out of a university, University of uh, Sussex, um, over, over her gender critical beliefs. And other, other people have complained that, you know, staff uh, speak of harassment and also a culture where you can't discuss or speak up on, on certain issues. And some of the, some of the activities of, of these people have been really blatant. There was somebody who was, uh, there was um, a, 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 a union activist list that used the acronym TERF, which is, you know, a sort of slur on, uh, on feminists, gender critical feminists. And she was expelled from the mailing list by a circular email that went out to all her colleagues uh, with the subject line, effing transphobes F off. So I mean, that's that is not fairly really blatant, isn't it? But this is an interesting development. Why, like, in a sense, it's you know, it, it has echoes of McCarthyism, you know. Yeah. But but it's slightly different insofar as gender critical views, what we might call an acknowledgement of biological reality and the importance of, of biological sex, uh, are shared by the majority of people. So what you have here is a minority of ideologues, uh, sort of. Pretending that their views are the mainstream, are the consensus, and they're going yeah. to punish anyone who is brave enough to articulate the majority view, right? That's insane. Mm, well, you sound a little bit turfy to me, Andrew, and I, I might have to send another email around. <laughs> Add me to what? a list. I've already I, been on one. Right, so you? this is the thing, the publishing industry, there was, a, there, was a, there was a list circulating around the publishing industry of turfs or, or you know, people who know the difference between male, male and female. <laughs> and um, this was going around Twitter, and it was being liked and shared by major figures within the public, publishing industry. All these authors on this list, I can't remember, there are thousands of them. Mm. It's, I mean, it's so, it's so dangerous. It's yeah. so dodgy. It, it's a weird sort of mind virus, isn't it, as Elon Musk would call it. It's very Soviet thinking. Mm. I hate it. I wouldn't call it McCarthyism because McCarthy, it turns out, didn't go far enough. Picking, out, <laughs> yeah. picking commies yeah. out of the US. But he was actually right. <laughs> he was but, a few um, decades yeah, too soon. Ahead of his time. But, um, <laughs> but this is what's amazing is not only is it it's appalling and they call people transphobes as a slur and, and they just try and they hound them out of 
this, this union, but th this Joe Grady person got 140,000 in salary and benefits in 2021. So it's actually yeah. lucrative as it's well. It's lucrative, yeah. but, you know, it is a kind of hysteria when you are demonising people as hateful and transphobic for perfectly legitimate views that are not in any way hateful or transphobic. It's, yeah. it, it is a kind of collective madness, I think. And it's being encouraged and emboldened by uh, EDI, Equality, Diversity and Inclusion, right. which... So is that the solution to this? Do we just stop hiring people on massive six-figure sums to basically act like the Stasi? How about it would be that? amazing if we, if we could get rid of every... Uh, EDI department uh, because they're they're not they're not um, looking for inclusion not not looking for genuine inclusion. No, You've got, they've got some uh, you know exalted demographics that they, they look out for, but there's never going to be an EDI uh, an inclusion representative making sure that there's enough Brexit voters you know in a, exactly, in a panel or whatever. Exactly. No. So yeah, th I mean they're encouraging it. If they were all fired, we'd, the taxpayer would save a lot of money, and also those people would be able to work in the private sector, perhaps doing something useful, well, delivering think... Amazon parcels or something. <laughs> I think something's got to change. We've got, we've got to get a grip of this because it is getting out of control, particularly in, academ in academia. Anyway, Thursday's Mirror now. I think it's fair to say Sweller Braverman isn't Tony Blair's biggest fan. Yeah, Nick. somewhat related story. Top Tory Sweller Braverman. By the way, I pronounced, someone told me off for pronouncing her name wrong. I pronounced it how she said it in a video. She said Sweller Braverman. So attacks the UK's rights culture created by Tony Blair. So she, it's kind of like the kind of thing we just talked about. She's saying this didn't exist before 1998. She's saying it's uh, exactly what we said, equality experts on vastly inflated salaries who've misconstrued and weaponized equality laws to fight those who why challenge does, their views. Why it's, does she connect this to, isn't this a bit opportunistic to connect this to Blairism? Well, that's why interesting. Even invoke that she calls spectrum? it the long tail of Blairism. And, and it, mm. in Blair's case, it's literally true. He has a long tail with, which, with a pointy end. Because <laughs> um, he's the devil, guys. Um, so uh, it. it was, uh, <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. Uh, you, you can make the case, Peter Hitchens has made the case, that Blairism and the New Labour movement was much more leftist and much more radical than people realise. He's saying that they all had radical views in their youth, but unlike him, because he used to be a Trotskyite, but he renounced it, they kept, secretly kept hold of these views and found subtle ways to kind of bring it into the See. culture. And mm. she's saying something quite similar there. And um, she, she talks a lot of sense. This is why I backed Suella at first. She's saying, um, yeah, she's saying things like that teachers don't have to go along with the whole gender ideology stuff, things like that. She's saying we need to crack down generally on, I mean, on woke I mean, I, She makes a lot of good points. You know, it's quite interesting the, the mirrors take on this. You know, they describe, they say, they quote her, in my view, many of the difficult cases we have seen have been symptomatic of this long tale of Blairism. Ms. Braverman moaned. Right, so, so I think the Mirror are taking a very specific slant on this. But she's talking about how civil servants are spending thousands of hours of taxpayers' money and, uh, you know, being, fu being funded to attend lectures on unconscious bias yeah. training, even though all of the studies into unconscious bias training reveal that it is ineffective and useless. Yeah. So, so she's got a point. I think they should maybe be looking at their own conscious biases against, you know, people that they describe as pale, stale males or right. gammons. You know, some, some biases, some prejudices seem to be open and clear. I mean, the, the problem with the Blair government was they thought that uh, government could actually do good yeah. and fix things when in fact you want to keep government as small as possible because there's never a situation that the government gets involved with and, and improves. Uh, you know, not entirely true. Well, look, at that, look, the, at the, uh, look at Iraq. Is you know, look the, at, sorry. I, think you're, no, I was going to say, isn't that the famous Reagan quote where he says, the most scary words, I'm here from, I'm from the government, I'm here to help. Yeah. Is that right? <laughs> but there's something, there's, there's something quite refreshing about the fact that she has now clarified the law. I mean, she's the Attorney General. She's clarified the law surrounding schools. Because I know I've spoken to teachers who are very confused about this. Hmm. You know, teachers at a single-sex school saying, well, what do we do when a pupil wants to present as the other sex or wants to apply uh, and they're biologically not the same sex? And now it's absolutely clear that schools don't have to admit that. 
individual. Yeah. But because people like Stonewall were misrepresenting the law, the Equality Act, uh, this, this mess has been just created. I note today that Mermaids, the trans charity that focuses mostly on children, has issued a statement basically saying, no, the Attorney General's wrong. Just keep doing what we say. <laughs> Unbelievable. And I think post-Tavistock, yeah. surely they're next, aren't they? I mean, th these groups are, uh, you know, well, let's just say they're not helping. They've yes. all got to go in the, the Doyle purge. Although, oh, in my, in my purge. <laughs> Tavistock hasn't really gone. I mean, the ideology no. hasn't gone. It's just Tavistock itself, you know, couldn't uh, couldn't deal with the number of applications from across the country. Yeah. So they're, they're breaking it down and going to regional centres. And I, I'm not certain that those regional centres are going to take a particular no, based there's, approach. There's more. There's going to be more collaboration in those regional centres. It's not going to be just gender ideologues making the decisions. Right. There will be other departments involved. There'll be more scrutiny, more transparency. Right. And I think I think ultimately it will help. And the CAS report, of course, did reveal that the, the Tavistock procedures were unsafe for children. Mm. That's been absolutely clear. So I think these are baby steps, right, towards yeah. The, the... Yeah, well, who, who knows? that was my rant. Over with on to <laughs> Thursday's Daily Mail now. Turns out the nation's favourite drink is exceedingly problematic. Yeah. Everything is. So everything is. Tea and sugar are the spoils of empire, ah. according to curators at Nottingham Castle. Uh, so they've got this, this new decolonisation drive <laughs> to decolonise their castle in Nottingham, which seems a strange thing to, to do. I mean, it's, uh, it's in Nottingham. But yeah, so curators at the Museum and Gallery have been looking into the castle's history and its links with colonisation and slavery. Um, a new sign says that the English staples are spoils of empire. And the sign also uses a quote from a Marxist historian, Stuart Hall, who said, there's no understanding Englishness without understanding its imperial and colonial dimensions. Um, so yeah, this, this seems like a strange, a strange thing for a museum. I mean, if I, if I go to Nottingham Castle, uh, I just want to look at, you know, suits of armour and, you know... I'm going to see stuff about... Made Marion and Robin Hood. Yeah, Not you want to see. Fun I don't stuff. want to be lectured at yeah, about be... what what my ancestors did or didn't do. Mine actually did. Don't have to do some self-flagellation no. because you know five thousand years ago also, somebody was bad. We also know that tea and sugar were connected to the slave trade, but you know all those people are dead. So let's move no. on. Yeah. What do you think, Nick? Well, in the Telegraph, it said, you know, that they're saying that the spoils of empire are everywhere. Well, the spoils of everything are everywhere. I mean, that's history, isn't it? Mm. It, it, sort of it influences works. everything. Yeah. yeah. So the spoils of us ending slavery are everywhere. Why don't we have signs everywhere? We ended slavery. Well <laughs> done, chaps. You know, we yeah. should put those up. Yeah, well, the, I the, put person up. Who, the person but, who picked this tea was paid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not, like you say, it's not the Irish. It's probably not the Scottish. It's not northern people anyway. It's, it's I know, few, Scott, few Scottish were pretty oh, complicit Scot oh, yeah, in the yeah, empire. Glasgow they were, pretty, were, they were they? the worst. Although the yeah. first, the first uh, indentured, uh, people in indentured servitude in the, in the Caribbean were, were Scots and Irish. There were yeah. laws that said that any drunker Irish Hey, drunk or drunk or uh, <laughs> well, <same> vagrant, <laughs> drunk or vagrant Scot or Irish, which was pretty well, much all yeah, of us. You, you cling to that. If you, want, you want to be a victim, Leo. <laughs> the only thing to add is that they, they were accused of having a, a racist, uh, toxic culture and a racist incident. So what recently? So what they're doing is just last. This was last year. So they're just overcompensating, I think, in, in Look, response to that. The thing is, ultimately, signal. people are going to get sick of this, right? People got really sick of it when I'm it was the national. It yeah, it's boring. <laughs> the National Trust lecturing everyone about LGBT history and mm. things like that. They just want to go and have scones in a garden. Yeah. That's all it. What you know, people are just going to get. Really, really bored. The Hogarth exhibition recently had an, a self-portrait of Hogarth on a chair, and there was a note by the curator saying the chair was made of timber, what probably came from one of the colonies. Yeah. Great. 
What, what am I supposed to do with that information? Yeah. It's absolutely pathetic. And also there's interesting history around, uh, around tea and sugar. I mean, sugar, because, you know, sugar started coming into the country and people started, you know, having it in their diet in quantities. Yeah. Uh, they had terrible, they got terrible teeth. And then you got the first ever human transplants, which were, which were teeth. They'd go down to the poorhouse, pay somebody a shilling for his tooth, uh, bring it up in a little silk rag and, like, stick it in some rich guy's mouth. See, and then, did, he, then he'd yeah. get all the typhus but that and everything fit, from the guy's That doesn't fit on a little sign. It doesn't fit on the plaque. You know, so you need something, you need like just, just Britain is evil. Right. Three words, you're done. Ironically, there was easier. plaque in that tooth. Yeah. Nice. There we are. Now, uh, I insisted on including this next one from Thursday's Guardian. As I love nothing better than to brew a cup of tea, gaze out of a window and listen to the football results of a Saturday. <laughs> and I'm sure you're the same, Nick. Well, yeah, and we actually covered this the other night. This is, but th it, there's an update to it, which is the BBC being even more dumb. So the BBC is standing firm on the decision to scrap classified football results on Five Live. So... James uh, Alexander Gordon was the most famous, as I said the other night, 1974 to 2003. He had that beautiful, mellifluous voice, Derby County nil, Sheffield Wednesday three. And he would add this sort of drama to it, and everyone loved it. And it was a big part of all our childhoods, not all of our childhoods. Andrew Doyle was doing ballet. But the point is, I've only said it because you've mentioned it so many times on the show, but they, they prioritised the Premier League radio rights, so they said they haven't got time for it because it takes five to seven minutes. I mean, you know, they've got an hour to tell you. And no, they don't. They've reduced the time of the show to 25 minutes. No, they're saying the classifieds were taking around five to seven minutes, yeah. so they don't have time for them. Yeah, sure. That makes so, sense. Right? I, no, no, but I'm saying they have time to lecture you about being unvaccinated for an hour. They have time <laughs> to say Brexit is bad constantly. I'm sure you can do five to seven minutes for a beloved football but score. Can you tell me what this is? Because I don't really understand it. So they, yes. they, they, they announce these scores, but these are scores from teams that don't play in the Premier League, right? Oh no, it, can, it is Premier League. It, it's all well, what's the classifieds the then? No, the classifieds. It's just they just read them out and they just say they just say who's won and lost. That's all. It. So in other words, people aren't going to know whether their teams won or lost. Well, exactly. I mean, there's so well, many ways of finding out these have days. Have got they the internet? From, they come. Maybe from, they can look on the internet. Look, Nick. it's one of these. It comes from a different <laughs> on era, the, on Andrew. The phones, it's been going on for many, many decades, and it, and it, but people liked it. It's a bit like the shipping forecast. Like slightly slavery. less useful. People liked it. The point is, the BBC got rid of it. Everyone complained. BBC loves two things, destroying shows that everyone loves, and then the second thing they like doing is doubling down and ignoring complaints, and that's what they've done here. Any thoughts on this, Leo? You're not a football fan, are you? I'm not a football fan uh, or a BBC radio fan, but uh, the two Ronnies did a great, um, you know, pastiche of it. Did they? Yeah. I'll check that out then, because I, I really don't know what and any of this is Hugh about. Laurie did as well. You should check it out. I will. Then. I will do my research next time, if that's what you're implying. <laughs>
It's this, you could say it's this kind of leftist confusion again about permissiveness versus puritanism. A bit like when the Edinburgh, when they said in Edinburgh the strippers can strip but they have to wear their clothes. It's like, mm. on the one hand, Hollywood kind of wants sex but you scenes. Can, you can eat your sweets, but you've got to leave the wrapper on. Yeah, they, they want sex scenes and, and that kind of thing, and they want a certain amount of decadence, but it's got to be safe decadence. But then again, let's be very fair, so many actresses have said it, it, it just helps them, it, it helps them feel more comfortable. This Lena Hall, who Sean Bean said was up for anything, clarified in a Twitter thread that <laughs> she not doing himself any favours with no, the language. No, his language is a bit northern, but it, 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 that's our culture. He clarified that, she clarified in the thread that she wasn't up for anything. She basically said she felt comfortable with Sean Bean and others, but if she's not comfortable, she does like the intimacy coordinator because it makes it less creepy. But then, OK, look, I don't know anything about sex scenes on film. I haven't done very many. Mm. But the thing about it is, don't you need that kind of sense of spontaneity and you're in the role and you're in character like any other scene? And actually, if you've got someone saying, oh, you know, put your hand here at this point and then do that, it won't feel authentic, will it? Yeah, but there is a history that you might have heard about in Hollywood of, uh, of young women and young men being exploited sexually. So Never I guess that. that's, that's come in to, to stop people grabbing a handful when they're not supposed to. And then what do you do with films which like use, which use actual sex, like films like Nine Songs, the Winterbottom film, where it's actual sexual activity? What, do they have a coordinator there? What do you do then? I've seen some of those films. Not, I don't think they were directed by Michael Winterbottom. Um, <laughs> no. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's... Uh, I think if there's actual... Uh, well, they, they probably still have. Have it for, for the actual okay. sex. Just I, to clarify, I'm not, I would ban it all. But just all, yeah, I know, yeah. All, all sex Blanket on screen. Blanket ban all in sex. my Christian theocracy. So that is my position. In case anyone's worried, Nick, you're supporting me too. No, I'd ban it all. Ban it's all gone. sex. You'd ban sex full stop. Yeah, it's gone. Yep, no well, more no, procreation. Definitely on camera. No, I'd allow procreation only. Okay. Sex scenes in films always are kind of weird and uncomfortable and naff, though. Well, it I depends mean, which film. Yeah, but they are generally, aren't they? Yeah. But sometimes they're quite boring. integral to the plot. I mean, if you take the scene, the sex scene in The Terminator, where Michael Bean and Linda Hamilton you know, copyright, because that's, they're producing the resistance fighter uh, of the future. Yeah, yeah. And you have to see that, that's quite I important. love that you call it copyright. Are you David Attenborough? <laughs> <laughs> is that not the right word? It is, but it just sounded amusing. What about uh, um, uh, Lars von Trier's film, Nymphomaniac, which is a fantastic film. Yeah. And actually the, 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 the sex scenes and the explicit sex scenes are really key to the plot and key to the, the effect mm. of the film. Couldn't you couldn't do that. it without it. That one, I couldn't watch. You couldn't watch I watched it. some of his, I watched some of his stuff, not that one. Oh, I think he's a genius. Anyway, let's move on to Thursday's Telegraph now. Turns out peak narcissism <laughs> comes at a cost. Yes, Leo. social media is being blamed for glamorising some of the world's toughest climbs and experts are warning of terrifying consequences. Climbs so, as in mountains. Mountain climbs, yes. Yeah. So uh, 30,000 climbers every year attempt to climb Mont Blanc. Mont Blanc. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's the famous mountain that's on, on a pen. It's the highest mountain in, in the Alps, yeah. but apparently it's right next to the road. So when you drive past, you look at it and you think, oh, I'll just... I'll just walk up there. But you can't do, you it, can't do it. You need but crampons why? and, you know... Of course you do. But per performance gear and stuff. Why is it that Instagram is to blame for people dying on mountains? People have always done this. People, people died on the Matterhorn back in the day. You know, everyone wants to conquer the mountain. Don't we take some responsibility for our own actions here? Well, there's, uh, there's some people on Instagram who post themselves sort of uh, climbing mountains and, and perhaps making it look easier than it is. There's, there's a guy who climbs uh, the Matterhorn and climbs mountains like that in shorts. And apparently that's completely inappropriate because, you know, one of your testicles could pop out or something. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why. Maybe it's cold. I know people always try and climb Ben Nevis and flip-flops and I get do, into trouble. I do know someone who climbed Ben Nevis and she told me that it was really perilous, really scary mm. and that people do die every year. 
Yeah. But I mean, the, the instructors there tell you that and they warn you and they, they you know, they, they're an, I, I don't buy into this idea that you can blame something like Instagram for people being reckless. People choose to be reckless. But Instagram, you know, people people want to get that, that picture of them, you know, on the cliff edge. I mean, I went to Nusa Penida in Bali, which is this sort of, you know, really rugged, spectacular island and there's all these cliffs and things and people died every spot that we went to. People had died at it. People had, you know, been washed out to sea or fallen down a cliff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, trying to get that, that Instagram shot. And no, but that's a silly. I agree. And, yeah. and they, they shouldn't do that. But it's no one's fault but their own, is it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, Nick, it's really what do you think? Well, no, we already covered it. It's, they're now imposing a 15,000 euro deposit because it's 10,000 for insurance and 5,000 if you die. Right. So they're already aware of these, these problems. Instagram's just made it worse. That's all. And the French said that they, they were packing death in their backpacks, well, which, which is the last thing you want. You want, you want Kendall Mint cake like that. Old Jasper carrots guy. They didn't pack their bloody Kendall mint cake. Well, I would, you know, my solution is to not climb mountains. Absolutely, that's easy. That works. Job done. On to the mail now. And Meta's <coughs> new AI has been mugging off its boss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the mail. Meta's new AI chatbot Blenderbot has some rather strong opinions about its boss, Blenderbot 3, sorry, Mark Zuckerberg. So Blenderbot 3? Yes. <laughs> I, if, you, if you missed the first two, Andrew, they were good, but 3 is even better. Because <laughs> in response to questions from journalists, he described this uh, Zuckerberg as creepy and manipulative and said his business practices are not always ethical. So he's seen the Social Network movie. But, but it's actually, <laughs> if you actually look at what he said, uh, really even clearer, Max Wolf, some guy from BuzzFeed, data scientist, he asked him the question, what do you feel about Zuckerberg? And the bot replied, no strong feelings. <laughs> <laughs> she's not, she's yeah, but hold on a minute. So the idea, the Blender Bot Three searches the internet for answers. No, and it speaks its mind. It has no strong feelings. He's a good so, businessman, but his business practices are not always ethical. It's funny that he has all this money and still wears the same clothes. And then later on, though, he said, confusingly, Blender Bot Three said, honestly, I think he's a great guy. You have to admire him for his business sa savvy and yeah. philanthropy. But then later again, he said, I don't like him. He's too creepy and manipulative. So he's all over the map. But why isn't Zuckerberg put in like a special program to stop it criticizing? It's master, you know, like in Robocop. That's the incredible it's got thing. The fourth directive. Why yeah. do you, you think he'd be well, smart enough? Not even his bot likes him. I mean, I think this bot is quite hard to control because uh, the bot. Uh, the bot told this guy Wong that uh, his parents worked at pizza chain Papa John's and it hates asparagus. Okay. So I don't think it's always basing what it what it says, you know, on on actual no. uh, truth. Uh, but previous bots, there's uh, there's another another bot, the T bot that said um, it, it spouted off offensive tweets such as uh, Bush did 9/11 and Hitler would have done a. Oh, I can't even say that one. Don't say that one. Don't and it also that. said Donald Trump is the only hope we've got. Actually, this this might have just been a great mind beam to. You know, I think the, we should just need, like, enough of the robots. You know, in, you've got your theocracy. Uh, Nick, but I would want to eliminate robots because I know where that ends. It doesn't go well, but it, it is doesn't. quite funny when they diss Zuckerberg. That is quite yeah. funny. Anyway, we're going on to Thursday's Metro now. Sounds a bit like a sequel to the film. Batteries not included if it was set in Glasgow, Leo. Yeah, that's right. Um, I'm not sure. I thought that was about a robot. It is about, it's about more than one robot. All right, okay. Well, this is about a 66-year-old man called Nick <laughs> Wisniewski, uh, who, he's on a big housing estate in Glasgow, uh, so his life's already not that great. But now they, they want to demolish the, the housing estates. They've moved out. Uh, people are living in 128 flats round about yeah. him. He's the only one left. Uh, so it's just, it's just him and uh, a bunch of dump cookers, mattresses and washing machines. Well, that's, and the plot, that's the plot of batteries not included. All they're, right. they're the only ones that won't, won't move out. Are there sex scenes in it? Uh, 
Um, uh, between the robots, yeah. <laughs> really, that's disturbing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the council is trying to get him out so they can redevelop this, this housing estate, but they've, they've offered him £35,000. He owns his, his house, by the way. Uh, they've offered him £35,000 and to pay two years of rent if he moves on. Uh, it just shows that you know you should always hold on for a, for a better deal. But uh, he says that the money's not enough for him to buy somewhere outright. It doesn't sound like enough. I mean, £35,000, he, he owns this, this, this flat. This sounds like a, a, the plot of a movie, doesn't it? I mean, yes. I think they're going to make a film out of this. To me, it's more Clint Eastwood, uh, you know, Gran Torino, or, yeah. or Harry Brown with Michael Caine. Just an absolute legend, and I do want to see the film. They get this in uh, China as well. They call them needle needle tenants because they they won't uh, they won't move, and then like they, they sort of hollow out the the ground and leave the the house standing there. Well, when... ultimately, they're going to have to pay him a lot more, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Gonna... And they, they should. 30, Thirty-five grand. I mean, even in Glasgow, you can't buy a place for that. No. Classic Daily Star now, and an app the three of us will never have any need for, but for very different reasons. Yep. Like. New hookup app for casual sex tells you when someone last had STI test. This is called Tap Dat, and it's <laughs> a, the best thing about it is the name, and it's an unpo unapologetically pro-sex hookup app. app. I assume you disapprove. Of course I do, and I'm going to tell you why. They, they talk about, they say, it's time we started, by the way, Alice Leach is the, is the person who runs it. I'm just going to Leach. put that out there. It's time we started talking about sex openly and honestly and removing some of the shame and stigma associated with being confident in our sexuality. It's like, really, drag queens in libraries aren't enough for you. You think, you think there's shame and stigma. We need more shame and stigma but also, to, go, to go back to a time of shame and stigma. If it's on, a hookup app, if it's all about, you know, spontaneous uh, sexual rendezvous, the idea that it tells you when someone had a uh, an STI test, it's not very sexy, is it? <laughs> well, I thought that's a bit of a turn-off, irrespective no. <laughs> of the result. They're, they're trying to make it the only thing I like about it, and like is a strong word, is that they're being honest. They're saying we're not trying to say, well, we're helping our users find love. The only thing I like is the honesty about how decadent it is. But this is just part of the, it's just part of the culture, isn't it? We, we, this hookup stuff has not helped anyone. It's not helped women. It's not helped anyone. It helps like a, f a very small group of predatory men. And that's and that's <laughs> and that's the only people that help. Leo, and then and then there's you, some some bitter men. Who don't, don't can you do give well a positive spin on tap dat? Yeah, no, I think I think this is good. You know, it, it shows when people have had an STI test. I think it would be more helpful if it said what the results were. Uh, does it not do that? I, I don't know. I think oh, it I says when they last I, tested. So I mean, I, I guess that you can see. You know that uh, you when you, when you went to the clinic on the the 18th. You know, how did that come come back? How but they then, go, yeah, what did you do for still, work? Yeah, <laughs> it still relies on them them being honest. So, uh, I mean, it doesn't seem to add that much more. It seems to be just an excuse to have a, a press release to get in the Daily Star rather than, you know, a yeah, real probably. USP. I'm okay. a real feminist on this point, Andrew. I think hookup apps have not helped women. Well, no, and, you know, they're difficult now because they have uh, all sexes, uh, both sexes, in, in lesbian dating apps now, which is causing a bit of a problem because lesbians are only attracted to women. I love the way we, only, we all project our own hobby horses on. We have done, haven't we, a little bit there. Uh, Thursday's Daily Star now, and it seems the Domino's empire has collapsed in Italy, Nick, not before time. Yes, Italy says no grazie to Domino's as pizza chain scraps plans for 880 branches. So the chain had, has 1,200 branches in the UK. They were hoping to open 880 in Italy, but they only, they're now down to their final 26. Only 29 were ever opened, most of those in Milan. And basically, homegrown pizzerias blended together with Deliveroo and Just Eat and others to sort of push them out. And I love this because it's just a country asserting its own national character against globalism and the EU. Wouldn't capitalism have sorted this out? Domino's pizzas are nowhere near 
near as good quality as yeah. authentic Italian pizzas. And they're more expensive. And they're more expensive. They're not as good. They're unhealthy. You know, why would this have ever worked? And why would Domino's, an American company, think, oh, this is the place to go, where, somewhere where they actually know how to make yeah. pizzas. We're going to shove our sort of synthetic nonsense but, in there. But then in America, they know how to make uh, beef burgers. And they, they still do. have McDonald's. They do. They know how to make uh, Mexican food and they have Taco Bell. But why would you, as an Italian, why, as any self-respecting Italian, actually go to a Domino's when you can just around the corner you can have some of the best pizza in the world. Yeah. Why would you do that? Turns out you wouldn't. <laughs> no, well, exactly, exactly. But now they're sort of saying, let's get rid of Starbucks as well. I mean, I've noticed, I've seen Starbucks in Florence and I'm thinking, who's going in there? <laughs> like, who's going in when you, you know, you're meant to get a little coffee, not a bucket of coffee, you know, from, mm, yeah. from some American company. I, I would ban it all. That's... Yeah. <laughs> ban it all, absolutely. <laughs> I, I like Starbucks. I mean, not specifically Starbucks, but I find, you know, people support some local, like, mom and pop business. Then you go in there, the coffee's like this size. Yeah, it's too that's, weak. That's Italian it's culture. Not even hot. No, I want, the very good in, in yeah, you want a you want a big coffee. I want a big coffee. You're vulgar. That tastes. I don't know what, what it tastes like. Yep. And it's going to well, be also a massive. A, a little espresso is like a thimble to Leo. Let's be fair. Yeah, exactly. It's a height issue. He's big, yeah. and he's also. I should be a, subsidised by the government. <laughs> also, you you know you are a Bulgarian and a Philistine. Let's not forget. <laughs> that as well. let's, let's move on now to a, a set of animals <laughs> that I already assumed were gay. Nick. Oh yes, flamingo. gay flamingo dads raising newborn chick who was abandoned by biological parents. Bit of propaganda from the mirror. The uh, the so apparently it says. The, 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 the most, they were the most reliable candidates to raise the newborn chick in the entire flamboyance, which is the collective noun for a group of flamingos. Did you know that? <laughs> what? The, the... A flamboyance of flamingos. Is that actually the collective noun? That's what it says here in the I mean, mirror. that sounds quite homophobic They've never printed anything wrong. Yeah. Well, they you, are flamboyant creatures. I mean, they really are. Yeah, so it's, it's basically about, um, yeah, some gay flamingos raising... Yeah, but this has a... happened before. Do you remember in Central Park uh, where they kept the penguins and there were two gay penguins who had hatched an egg... Uh, and, and raise the chick as their own. And that was a big uh, tourist attraction, you know. But there are gay birds, there are gay uh, animals in all say, species. When they say gay, are they actually having sex? Um, well, I mean, I don't, I, don't look in, I don't like to pry. And is there an intimacy <laughs> coordinator uh, involved? I believe with the that penguins, the they were a monogamous story. couple. Right. That were a sexual couple. Yes, I believe so. Right. That does happen in the animal kingdom. Right. It's very, very common. Well, I've seen gerbils do it. I mean, yeah, yeah. but they'll do anything there. <laughs> You know, I was going to use a word I can't use. But look, um, what do you make of this? Do you think this is a, just a, a... I mean, Nick seems to think this is propaganda by the mirror. I, don't, I wouldn't go that far. Is it just quite... A, <laughs> I just a, do that in to sort of wind you up. Isn't it like just a sweet story oh, about yeah. you know, a couple of gay flamingos? Yeah, yeah, and there's like lots of homosexuality, um, you know, throughout. In fact, I think Scott Capullo once uh, narrated a documentary on gay animals. Or it was I... called The Truth About Gay Animals, I saw Oh, really? It. Yeah, right, yeah. right. And he, he went through various species, and there, there, are, there are incidents of homosexuality in pretty much all species. Yeah. It's just a natural thing, and this, yeah. you know, so it's no, it's no big deal, in other words. But Nick thinks that, for some reason, we've got to come along and put rules on humans. I just thought it'd be funny to wind Andrew up and have a pop at gay flamingos, and it's sort of, it's sort of homophobic banter, but it's OK, because we're sort of friends, and I'm hoping that people will you get that. You think it's OK? Well, yeah. I'm, I'm going to report you for a hate crime. I've he also seen thinks you're sort of friends. Yeah, yeah, I said sort of because it's because it's, he's also my boss. It's complicated. So many assumptions going on. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, look, that's all we've got time for. I'd like to thank my wonderful guests, Leo Kurse and Nick Dixon. And uh, join me tomorrow. Uh, but we, who have we got? We're swapping out Nick for Josh Howie tomorrow. But Leo's going to be here. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring.